Onboard computer synchronization. Now entering the nexus of geekery and guy world. In three, two, one, mark. Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? This is the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. A service of Shark Flight Publishing. Hey kids, welcome back for the first episode of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast, circa 2020. I am your host as always, Ian J. Malone. You know the drill by now. You can find us online at thedudesinhyperspace.com. We also do the Facebook and Twitter thing at the Hyper Dudes. So by all means, catch up with us there. You can also shoot us an email, dudesinhyperspace at gmail.com. You guys know we love hearing from you. So lots of stuff been happening since last we spoke uh, about mid-December or so. We have got movies to talk about. We have got sports to talk about. We've got a new college football champion crowned. Uh, We are well on the way to AFC, NFC title games this weekend, the Super Bowl coming soon, Daytona 500 coming soon, lots of stuff already lined up to be awesome sauce here in the top of the year. But uh, before we delve into that and kind of tonight's topic du jour, I will welcome in my boys as always, Mr. Dave Daniels, Mr. Scott Esther. How are we doing this evening, fellas? Doing wonderful today, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you for asking. So what's the word down in Florida this evening? It is January and it's hot. Nice. Scott, how's things down in St. Pete? Things are uh, things are good, man. It's a Friday afternoon. Uh, you know, can't be happier to uh, be finally back on the mics with you guys. Nice. Did you guys have a good holiday? It was uh, everything I wanted it to be and more. So uh, so good time spent with uh, family and friends. Uh, good food, good drink. So... Right. Uh, coming out of that, hitting the uh, hitting work again and moving on. Hey, nice. speaking of food and drink, Dave, I uh, I saw the many, many pictures and posts on social media about the food and the drink and the holidays in the Daniels house. Man, you were a busy guy. Sir, I know my way around the kitchen. I you know do my indeed. way around the grill, and I know my way around the smoker. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> Sunday I, I had a, a lovely... Pork shoulder that I brined for about 18 hours and some apple juice brine. I want that brine recipe, by the way. We were talking about that off air, and I'm going to need you to email me that uh, before you forget about it. I want that. Yes, sir. I uh, did that, smoked it for about six and a half hours, made some pulled pork with it, and uh, ridiculous, ridiculously good. Now, do you got a sauce preference you like to use when you do pulled pork? Typically a, a oh, sweet baby raise. Okay. Typically, yeah, they've got a hickory and, and bourbon that they that they do, or a bourbon and brown sugar. That's what it is, and it's re- that yeah, it, it, it complements it well, especially when you've got the, the sweet that's already in there with the apple juice and everything yeah. you put in with that. Yeah, it's really good. I would bet that brine is absolutely stellar with a Carolina barbecue sauce, more of a traditional East Carolina uh, East Carolina vinegar base, because you're using so much of the sugar with the apple juice and the brown sugar and and the stuff that you've got in there. I bet you pair that with that vinegar peppery spice of a Carolina barbecue sauce, and I bet that'd be absolutely out of sight. I I will try that. That will be the next uh, the next Daniel's concoction. Nice. I'll bring you some barbecue sauce. So, uh, all right, fellas. Well, we will uh, go ahead and let's dive right into this. Uh, naturally, lots and lots and lots of nerd talk around the holiday season, and ninety nine point nine 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 of percent of it. Uh, centered on one franchise, and that was Star Wars. We all waited for Rise of Skywalker. Now, before I go any further, guys, listeners, we are not going to spend a whole nother podcast breaking down the the ins and outs of Rise of Skywalker. If you want that, go back and listen to our hot take review. What I want to get to tonight is more of a macro bird's eye view of where in the world is this franchise going from here? Okay, clearly Rise of Skywalker has been a successful film. It's been a moneymaker. Uh, whether you believe in Rotten Tomatoes or not, it's it's already crossed the $1 billion mark. However, it's been the slowest film of the Disney films to do that. It's also already lagging behind The Last Jedi, which to some was a bit of a disappointment financially. So uh, the, the shine is most definitely off of the Star Wars franchise, particularly if you take away The Mandalorian. I think Mandalorian is very much where Star Wars plants its flag right now and says we still know what we're doing. So uh, that's kind of what I want to delve into tonight. But real quick, before we start on the macro thing, as I said from the top, it's been a month since Rise of Skywalker. 
briefly, and Dave, I'll start with you. Have you had a chance to marinate on this? Did anything else kind of jump out at you since you had a chance to walk out of the theater from seeing it? Sometimes when you let these things breathe, you get some new perspective, new things come to you. Has anything dawned on you since since a month ago when you saw it? Uh, really not. It was uh, it was 10 pounds of Star Wars crammed into a five-pound pack. So yeah. That's pretty much how I still feel about it. All right. Scott, how about you, man? We didn't get a chance to catch your uh, thoughts on the Hot Take Edition because you were out for work stuff that night. But what did you think of the movie? You know, it was, um, I don't know that it was ever going to live up to anyone's expectations. Right. You know, it was a, you know, a fun little, fun little romp through, uh, some nostalgia on the, uh, on the Star Wars side, but, um, you know, all in all, it was, it was serviceable to, to wrap up a franchise, uh, in a, in a set of three movies. Um, it felt like they flew through a number of parts just to get the, just to get to the end. Yeah. Um, so we didn't catch a whole lot of we didn't get a whole lot of meat around uh, the story. I felt like they um, they didn't space the beats uh, out far enough to give us enough. But uh, you know what? It's um, it's over. It's done. Um, and it's time to start to take a look at where we go from here. Right. Yeah, I kind of still feel the same way about it. I I was on the fence about whether or not I really wanted to stand by my five out of 10, just but average rating that I gave it in the hot take review. But after seeing it now a second time with my niece who loved it, um, I'll stand by that. I, I think it was a very average film that if you take the star Wars brand off of it, probably isn't even a sci-fi pictures original, um, just straight down the middle average film, looked at my watch several times through it. Nothing about it ever really grabbed me. But that really kind of defines everything that is the sequel trilogy for me. And with that, we'll kind of zoom back out to the wide lens. Now, I put some thought into this over the holidays because I went back and watched a couple of these. And to my knowledge, the only real moment I can tell you out of all three of these films, when this entire trilogy really kind of put me on the edge of my seat, was in the very beginning of The Force Awakens when the Millennium Falcon flew again. To see that ship flying across the big screen again, I don't care. It could have been Pee Wee Herman behind the stick. I don't care. It was the Millennium Falcon. It was back flying on the screen. The sound of it, the look of it, the feel of it. It reminded me of 1983 all over again. And I had not seen that ship fly on the silver screen since the mid-90s when they did the re-release of the original trilogy to set up the prequels. So uh, so that moment was was... I would see Force Awakens all day long just to experience that moment again. Aside from that, nope. Everything about the sequel trilogy was average. It was fragmented. Um, it was a, a complete and total mess that just screamed we had no plan. And that's sad because this is Star Wars we're talking about. So, Dave, any thoughts? No, I mean, I'm pretty much the same. You know, if you, if you look at what's going on from here, it's just there's so much wasted opportunity. Uh, yep. There was so much stuff, you know. The first movie we kind of understood was going to be a throw. Let's let's get a little nostalgia. Let's add a little into it, and then they J.J. Abrams had to hand it off, and then it just it just did poorly. It just it wasn't. We we've talked about this, you know. Finn's storyline in the second movie it felt like they got done with that movie. And they looked back and they said, "Oh crap, we forgot to do something with Finn. Now we got to we got to figure something out to put him in the movie with." Right. You know, and and then you had the 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 Leia Poppins and thus the whole mess they had going through and. They just never followed through with anything. You know, he has just, been ugh. very adamant that he really doesn't want anything else to do with Star Wars for the foreseeable future, if not ever. Now that it was revealed in, in Rise of Skywalker, and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the bloody movie, then I'm sorry. He's Force-sensitive. That was the big reveal on him at the end of the movie. Naturally, there's been speculation that, okay, we'll do a Finn spinoff movie. John Boyega's like, nope, 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 nope. I'm good. They can have at it. They can They can do all they want. Uh, I'm I'm going to bow out of this for a while. Now, whether that's just because he wants a break and he doesn't want to be typecast and he wants to do other things, or whether it's because of all of the you know the fan animosity and all of that garbage on Twitter, I don't know. But he's out. Uh, seems like that's pretty well been the consensus from everybody in the sequel trilogy. That okay, we've done it, we've finished it, uh, we're we're ready to to walk away. 
Me personally, I don't need to see anything else out of any of these characters. I'm done. Finn would be the only one that maybe I would like to see a film about because I do think he was a cool character that got utterly wasted in these three films. So maybe there's story left there to tell with him. But beyond that, I don't need any more Ray. Poe Dameron was a complete and total waste of my time. Um, I really wanted to see what was going to become of Maz Kanata. They wasted her. So, you know, moving on from there, Finn's really kind of the only one. Uh, Scott, I'll throw this one to you, man. Sequel trilogy characters. Are there any characters, storylines, anything out of that that you would tune back in for? Um, Something that would bring you back to the theater or at the very least a Disney Plus screen to watch it? I just want to follow the Falcon. (laughs) All right. So where does it go from here? You know, uh, Chewie's about the only character that I would love to see come back and do some uh, more story around. Right. Um, I felt like he was... um, he was the only thing that uh, out of the three movies that really that, that tied it all together. Um, unfortunately, even towards the uh, in the Rise of Skywalker, and again, uh, spoiler alert. So if you didn't hear Ian say it before, um, you know how he was, uh, you know the the fake uh, fake death, um, you know <laughs> certainly uh, didn't impact me the way that uh, you know you would have thought. That it would have. Yeah. Um, and so there was, you know, when it happened, I was kind of like, this is not even a thing. No. Um, there's no way that that's how he goes out. I, um, I think I even said that verbatim to my wife in the theater <laughs> as we were watching it. And she just looked at me and she literally snickered in the theater when right. that happened. Yeah. So, you know, to, to me, that I, you know, the Millennium Falcon is one of those that uh, had a storied past before we even saw it show up in, yeah. in, um, in A New Hope and uh, would love to see how... Um, that legacy lives on through that. And I think they could come up with some really, uh, really good storytelling around it. I gotcha. You know, that said, though, uh, after having watched The Last Jedi, it was almost like when everything happened with Chewie in there, it became, um, hey, who has the worst death in the Star Wars universe? Oh, Admiral Akbar, J.J. Abrams said, here, hold my beer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I could feel you on the on the Falcon stories. That'd be kind of neat. Um I don't know, man. I I stand by. There's really nothing about this that I care anything to see. And and really kind of what's tragic is it started to leak out um, in the last week or so details about Colin Trevorrow's script and what that would have been. So for those who don't know who Colin Trevorrow is, originally when all of this was set up, Abrams came in. He was going to do Force Awakens. Ryan Johnson was going to direct Episode Eight, Last Jedi. And then Colin Trevorrow of The Lost World was going to come in and close everything out at at number nine. Well, Colin Trevorrow put out some sort of an indie movie. I don't even remember what it was about. Some kid who picked up a gun or something, I don't know. But it completely tanked, got shredded by the critics, and Lucasfilm freaked out and dumped one in their pants and said, okay, we we need to do an abrupt about face here. You're out of here like somebody stole something. So Colin Trevorrow got fired. They threw him a courtesy writing credit for... for, um, Rise of Skywalker ran scrambling with, you know, pants on fire back to J.J. Abrams and said, please, dear sweet Moses, save us. So Abrams paired up with the guy from Argo and Justice League, because Justice League is a fantastic film, uh, and said, we're going to write the, the last chapter of the Star Wars saga and close it out. And that's when you got all of the Palpatine stuff and all of that. The Trevorrow script was actually going to be very different. Uh, they would have referenced Palpatine as an Imperial hologram from a like a Sith holocron. But it was going to be the grand showdown between Kylo Ren and the light side, where he fully embraces the dark now that he's there and he's the bad guy. And so it was the showdown with him, and it was going to be on Mustafar, and it, I, it might not have actually been bad, but... Uh, Now we'll never know, because that's not the film they decided to make. The film they are talking about making, and this kind of shifts us a little bit into the next leg of this discussion, is a film that's set very much, or trilogy, or set of films, whatever, uh, that's going to be set in a very distant past. Now, whether that's in what they're calling the High Empire Times, which is 400 years prior to the prequels, or whether it's you know thousands of years back in the days of Darth Bane and Revan and Malak and all those guys, nobody really knows. But that's all of the speculation that, that is happening now is that's where they're going to go with the film franchise from here. Do you guys know anything about those? Have you read any of the books or the comics? They reference Darth Bane in The Clone Wars, so that much you're at least familiar with. They also referenced a couple of old kind of Knights of the Old Republic character 
characters in Rebels. But how much of that do you guys know about? Are you familiar with that? I'm not as much. Uh, I just what little bit's going there. I mean, obviously we we all have heard at some point in time about Darth Plagueis, right? Because that was that was brought up in the prequels. Uh, but no, uh-uh. I mean it, it could be interesting because it's something that's not been told before. How did we get to where we were? Yeah, I would say that the you know looking back at through through all of that and then even through what is you know canon through Rebels and and, and Clone Wars, it seems like a, a much more large scale. There were many more Jedi's, many more Sith. And, you know, and large-scale battles were fought around these temples, uh, both Sith and Jedi alike. So, uh, if they're looking for, um, I don't know, it, you know, it, it's the difference between you know a war movie and you know something something else. If they're going full-scale war movie, they might be able to go back and show what that looked like. Um, but I don't, I don't know if uh, if there's any merit to that at all. Right. If you get a chance, and this is not canon anymore, which is too bad, but it was a great read. Path of Destruction is a Star Wars book from Drew Carpishan. Carpishan, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but uh, you can find it on Amazon for dirt cheap because it's part of the old expanded universe now. Um, that is the the first book in the Darth Bane trilogy, and that teaches you who Bane is, and it is a great stinking read. Uh, we read it on the way down to Florida via audiobook. We plugged it in on the car and listened to it. And my wife, who doesn't typically read Star Wars books, actually really, really enjoyed it. Basically, what this book does is it puts a, a human face on the dark side. It is about a guy who is just pushed and shoved and beat around to a place that, I mean, he's he's that dog that just gets whipped and whipped and whipped and whipped until finally somebody teaches him that you know what there is a way you can fight back and take your own destiny into your own hands and you can make the people who did this to you pay and once he starts down that rabbit hole he just goes and he goes and he goes and he learns and he studies and he digests and he just he continues to just absorb knowledge like a sponge well this is all happening at a time when the the Sith are legion the Sith rival the Jedi in number And so as this guy throws himself into the archives of learning who the Sith are and where they came from, he's studying at the Sith version of the Jedi Academy. Uh, He he stumbles onto a holocron message from one one of the original Sith, who just said there should always be two. There should never be more than that. As long as there are two, that's one to wield the power and one to crave it, the dark side will always be at its purest form. Anything more than that dilutes it. And it becomes like a guy who's getting back to the, the roots of his religion, all right, for lack of a better way to put it. You know, history is rife with, you know, religions that spin off on tangents and produce their own theologies. Nobody can agree on what the right message is or what the, you know, the central tenets of the faith are and blah, 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 blah. The Sith were very much that way. And this guy decides, I'm going to take us back to the basics. And basically, he inevitably declares war on his own people. It's an epic freaking story with a great character. If I could pick one story to tell on Star Wars Silver Screens right now, that would be the one that I would tell. But you've got to have a great director. You've got to have a great script. And you've got to have a great actor. And frankly, that requires leadership. And that's what I don't know that they have right now at Lucasfilm. I mean, the mess that was this trilogy, that I, I it still baffles me how Disney let that happen. Because you look at, at the success that they've had with Kevin Feige over at Marvel... He's the puppet master behind that entire empire. Yes, they bring in other directors and other writers to kind of make the Iron Man franchise look different than the Thor franchise, which looks different than Captain America, which looks different than Guardians. But he's the guy overseeing all of that that massages those properties together into one big cohesive unit. How they didn't have that for Star Wars, I'll never know. But moving forward, they had better damn well get it and with a quickness. So anyway, I know that was... A long, giant blurb on my end. But Dave, you got anything you want to add to that? You know, one of the things I think that if you want to go with a new property and get something that you can tell an entire story with and, and kind of have a little bit of leadway with, and something I, I was just going through, you talk about Maz and how they wasted what she had. I agree, but one of the things that you can do with that I think would be an interesting series, do something about all the artifacts, all that stuff that was downstairs, and you go about how she got stuff, where they came from, and you can do an entire history of Star Wars just on those artifacts, where they oh, came sure. from, the history behind it, and go through. And it's a weekly series, or it's a monthly thing. It's something you can put together as a small series that I think would, would actually do pretty well. Right. Like an Indiana Jones series with Maz Kamada running around collecting artifacts. 
Yeah, but it's it's you know it's, you know we never hear you know when they talk about uh, where did the where did Luke's lightsaber come from and her her re- response was that's a story for another time. Well, here it is. I mean, you've got this entire Disney Plus that everyone has that jumped on board because they want to see the Mandalorian. Yeah. And then when they got on board to watch the Mandalorian, what happened as soon as the Mandalorian was done and they had nothing to take its place, everybody jumped off. So if you want to do that kind of deal, and you know, we're hoping we're going to get Kenobi at some point or something, Kenobi that's supposed to be coming out, which I think is going to be great. But if you want to keep that fan base on board and you want to do this kind of thing, this is the way you do it. You you have something that staggers out throughout the year to go through. I really think that would be a, an excellent way to tell that part of that history and figure out both sides of it and go through. Well, allegedly, the seventh season of The Clone Wars was going to drop February 17th. And that broke, and the internet went wild. We even posted it on our uh, Facebook and Twitter pages. And then Lucasfilm scrubbed it and said, no, 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 no. That's not the actual date. So nobody really knows when that's coming, but that's one that everybody's looking forward to. We all watch Clone, uh, Clone Wars. So getting to see how that wrapped, we we know, obviously, that Ahsoka Tano will be back. We know that Darth Maul will be back because Sam Witwer voices him, and he's already confirmed that he's in it. So uh, you know that's one thing we're going to look forward to. I don't know the timeline on Kenobi. I think that shoots this summer for a 2021 release, and then you're going to get uh, Mandalorian Season 2 fall of 2020. But the stuff everybody's waiting for now is is the Marvel stuff. Falcon and Winter Soldier's on the way. WandaVision is going to drop this year. Uh, I know the Hawkeye series has been indefinitely delayed because everybody hates Jeremy Renner now. Uh, I want to say there's maybe one other Marvel property that's coming this year. What if, maybe? I'm not sure. But, but I mean, that's what they're doing now. But I agree with you. Star Wars definitely needs a little bit more punch to kind of keep that fan base in there because I haven't turned Disney Plus on once since I watched the last episode of The Mandalorian. So, Scott, have you had a chance to wrap The Mandalorian Season 1 yet? I have. Okay. Um, you know, I liked it. I think um, it, it was good. And, and I don't know if we've done a... Uh, I know I missed a few episodes if you guys did a, a spoiler cast on any of the stuff, but... Um, we haven't, but we're a month out from, from the last one, so most everybody who listens to this show has probably had a chance to, to hear it. If you have not watched the last episode of The Mandalorian, turn back now. Turn back now. Yeah. Turn back now. <laughs> I, thought it, um, I thought it started off strong, and it, towards the middle, I wanted them to make sure that this wasn't just a, a Western uh, set in space that the lead character just jumps from town to town helping people out. I wanted to see them put a little bit more on um, on the character development um, and uh, and learn a little bit more about the, the people that he gets involved with. Um, you know, for a while there, it kind of was like, well, this is just the Star Wars version of Quantum Leap. Um, you know, he just sort of dropped out of town, helped them out, and then right. he was out. Making you know? right so, what once went wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> But, uh, you know, hopefully as, as time goes on, as budgets increase and they're able to do a little bit more, I think they're going to take a look at that and, um, and really put some more behind the Mandalorian. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, the big thing with, with Disney Plus for me was getting to go back and, and rewatch Rebels and Clone Wars yeah. and picking up on a lot of things that I had either forgotten or completely missed on the first pass. And, um, you know, they have a stable of, of people that know how to write good stories Yep. In this universe, they just have to turn them loose. Yep, um, and take the take the constraints off. Let these folks uh, do what they do best, um, and then I think that's when you're really going to start to see uh, the Star Wars franchise kick back into gear and start to fire on some uh, on their cylinders. Yep. Well, you know the common thread between the things that all of the things you just talked about: Mandalorian, Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Clone Wars. It's one guy, Dave Filoni. And we've talked about him on this podcast before. He's the guy who studied under the feet of George Lucas long before Disney was ever a thing with Star Wars. The Clone Wars was his baby. Not the crap sorry movie that came out, but the series that told epic stories about really deep characters. And then Star Wars Rebels, that was all him. So Lucasfilm, if you're listening to this podcast, why in the world have you not put that guy in charge of the entire Star Wars machine? You've got your Kevin Feige. Give him the hat. Let him go to work. He will not steer you wrong. But um, I will say as a side note, hands down, my favorite episode for Mandalorian was the prison episode. I mean, beyond the fact that it was just a prison episode in space, you had Bobby Elvis from Sons of Anarchy out there rolling around and the Kurgan from freaking Highlander running around as one of the prison break crew. 
So uh, I was really high on that episode. But what do you guys want to see out of season two of The Mandalorian? Clearly now we know that he's going to go looking for Yoda's homeworld. Baby Yoda's homeworld, sorry. Apparently that is not actually the alien's name, Baby Yoda. It does have a name. They're going to tell us later. Um, I vote for Steve. But um, <laughs> but 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 they are going... That's the chase now is we got to go find where Baby Yoda comes from. That's the only thing we really know moving forward. So uh, what do you guys want to see out of Mandalorian Season 2? Dave, we'll throw it back to you. I want to see... A baby Yoda helmet. <laughs> no. <laughs> All no, right I, then, and credits. Thanks, guys, for listening. We appreciate you. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, it'll be interesting to see as they, you know, the, I think the the character they've created is great uh, when it comes to their, I, to the actual Mandalorian. I want to see more character development out of the child. I want to okay. see what they do with it. I want to... As he learns to use the power and goes through where it comes from, a little more backstory on where he came from, which I think is what we're going to get since he's looking for his parents. But I want that backstory. Uh, why is he Force-sensitive? Why does he already know how to use all that? Like That kind of a deal going through. And an actual explanation, not just a, you know, like we got from the, the, the last trilogy here, where it was just a, oh, it's just that thing. And then they just move past it. Let's, let's see it. What happened? Why is it so important? Scott? I think uh, I think I'd like to see some more develop the villains in this. Um, you know, people that you can really you know sort of who might be uh, pulling the strings from uh, you know from the shadows of uh, of why these things are starting to happen. So um, you know, I think I'd like to see a little bit more of that. I know it sort of uh, takes us back to the the time where you've got uh, you know the emperor and what he did throughout the the entire nine movie series but um i think i think it's lacking a little bit on that end okay yeah i can get on board with that i will say as uh as villains go dear sweet moses you've got a great one um the guy playing moff gideon dude he's awesome that's gustavo fring from breaking bad and better call saul he's also been in a ton of other stuff that dude is a stud if you need a guy to hate he is your man so I really hope they ramp up his presence in season two. Other thing I really want to see of is I've really enjoyed what they're doing with the Mandalorian people and learning that it's a creed. You know, we've, we've learned about this big Imperial purge that happened and clearly Moff Gideon was, was a central part of that evidenced by the fact that he's got the freaking dark saber. Um, you know, I, I want to know more about what happened then don't necessarily need a whole series of flashbacks, but, but maybe one good episode that goes back and tells the story of what happened with the purge, the night of a thousand tears or whatever they call it. That was really fascinating stuff. So I hope that gets grown a bit in season two. So, all right, kind of final question to put a little bit of a bow on this conversation. And I'll, uh, I'll let both of you have a crack at this. You are now the president of Lucasfilm. You can hire people, you can fire people, you can sign scripts, you can do whatever it is that you want. What direction are you taking the franchise? We'll keep this on. Uh, give me, give me the silver screen and give me a Disney Plus project. All right. So if you can grow it on the big screen and the small screen, what are you going to do? And Scott, I'll start with you. Go, President Esther, Lucasfilm. Uh, I think on the on the silver screen, uh, you start from scratch. Um, you get some storytellers uh, in a room together and uh, start to lay out what that new arc looks like. Uh, new characters. Uh, worlds we haven't seen before, um, you know, starships and, and technology and things that have been developed coming out of um, that nine arc series. Um, I think you have to go in that direction and, and start from scratch. Um, it it lines up perfectly with a lot of things that uh, Lucasfilm likes to do, which is uh, one, new characters means new merchandising <laughs> and <laughs> a whole new set of toys to buy. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, it gives them sort of a, a clean slate to start with, and they can uh, take a, a look at the fans uh, directly in the, in the eye and say, uh, we heard you loud and clear, here's something brand new. Um, as far as the Disney Plus platform, uh, I really like how uh, gritty they went with uh, the Mandalorian stories. Um, if you go back and look at uh, how they did Rogue One, and give us a little bit more of that backstory from this uh, original world that they had created. I think if they start to go down that road and tell episodic uh, stories around that, um, you know, I would 
I guess I'd like to see Disney Plus be the History Channel for Star Wars and the silver screen. What we what we're doing in the future, Dave? I think for uh, for Disney Plus, uh, I mean, we were talking about the the Masquerade thing, my idea with that part of it. But quite honestly, after having read the comics with Vader, I think there's a lot of story that can be fleshed out with that and brought into a to that kind of a format where it's a week to week. You tell even more in depth if you want to than the comics got into. But it's that 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 time between. Revenge of the Sith as he becomes Vader, as he yeah. learns what the Emperor has done and what how why he was put in the position he was in and, and how he was turned, and why he gets to the point in uh, in uh, Return of the Jedi where he spoiler alert turn back if you haven't seen it where he kills <laughs> kind of kills the Emperor I guess we've now learned uh, but you know it's it's one of those deals where. There's so much great story in there, and you get to see the anger and how he becomes Vader, this this huge, uh, just evil thing, and why he was pushed to that point. As for the big screen, let, let's just get to something original. You know, let's find something that you can reach out and do something original with that doesn't, it could just be, you know, some off-put out there somewhere. You know, the Ahsoka book um, wasn't bad, which tells the story uh, in between where when she left the Jedi Order and then where she pops back up later on down the road, how she hid and the things that happened from there. That was a, that was a pretty decent book. That might be a good story to get into and flesh out more about who she is because she right. is kind of a really beloved character. And, of course, uh, Rosario Dawson has talked about she wants to play that character on the big screen. or at She'd least rock that character. She would absolutely smoke yeah. that role. She, she wants to play it in The Mandalorian. So, I mean, I think that would be interesting to see what she could do with that character overall. It'd be a different voice, uh, you know, because we've had the same person that's played it for a very long time with the voice wise. But I, you know, there's so much out there that you can take a. I think their best bet right now is to take for the big screen is to take a little thing and blow it up because it's something that because Star Wars fans are so the the fanatic ones are so crazy and they think they know everything and they got to jump on everybody's crap. When things don't happen the way they think it should happen, because they've seen this and they've read that, and it goes from here and it does that, and rah 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 rah, shut up. That's not how this works. Just tell a story, go through, right. do your thing, but find something that's small and blow that up. That's a little thing and blow it up, like they did with the Mandalorian, where you had so little information about Boba and, and the Mandalorians, and and flesh it out and see what you got in there. If each of you could pick one director to bring into the Star Wars fold to direct a Star Wars film. Who would it be? Dave, go first. I'll be honest. You know, I'm not, I, I get the director part of it. Um, I've just never been a fan of picking a person to do a project that way. I, I think that there are people out there that can tell stories. Uh, you know, at, at this point, I'm I'm happy with them just finding somebody that can visually tell that story. I think J.J. Abrams did a good job of visually telling the story because he does those epics. Right. Uh, but maybe... Uh, who's who's the guy? Because it's escaped my mind right now. Who's the guy that does all the the big explosions? Uh, Michael Bay. Michael Bay. Let's bring in Michael Bay, and we're gonna. I don't know what we're gonna do with him, but let's let's bring him in to do all the explosions. All right, we're you gonna just, blow up another Death Star. Is what I was we're gonna, gonna do. say, man, you just made a <laughs> bunch of people's heads explode with that comment. Like when I typically write the the copy for this to put it up on the web and social media, like I bullet point out things we talk about. I'm going to put right there in bold font. Dave Daniels says Michael Bay should direct a Star Wars film. I'm going to watch Twitter just destroy you. <laughs> Scott, you got a director thought, man, somebody you'd love to see come to Star Wars? Well, I don't know if they if the technology exists, like the same thing they did for the Emperor, but if we can get Irvin Kirshner back, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, amen um, to that. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't have anyone off the top of my head that, uh, that screams to me, you know, Star Wars storyteller uh, okay. at the moment. But uh, you know we've got a little bit of time to 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 see that, and there's a lot of uh, you know young filmmakers out there who have this last three set of movies as their you know set uh, of movies they go off of as as their Star Wars, and uh, I think they're going to take a, a critical look at it and figure out how they can uh, you know maybe push past some of the mistakes that were made and uh, come up with some really good stuff in the future. Well, I'll take a crack at this, seeing as how this is just total fantasy and we can go just as wild and crazy as we want. Uh, if I had to pick one director to come to Star Wars, it would be Christopher Nolan. And if I could get him to direct the Bane story I told you about, I think that would be 
absolutely groundbreaking. I think it is something that you could do in one film. If Christopher Nolan said, nope, I think we need to do this in two films or three films, whatever. I have enough faith in him as a storyteller and as a guy who has the ability to be able to direct a darker, edgier, grittier film that I think he would make an absolutely magnificent looking Bane film. So that's what I would do silver screen. On the little screen, Disney Plus, there is a character that a lot of the old Knights of the Republic, uh, Knights of the Old Republic video game players and, and people who have read the books know well. It's a guy named Revan. Revan was a guy who was a Jedi who turned to the dark side, who then got turned back to the light side during the big war between the Jedi and the Mandalorians. That is a very, very interesting character because he has the perspectives of both. Uh, he, he has lived it. He's come back from the dark side to be able to tell of what he learned along the way. But when he was a Sith, he was one of the baddest on the block. So uh, he was really a, a complex, nuanced character with a lot to tell. This is also a time when relationships were not banned in the Jedi Order. So he had a wife and he had a family that he came back to. And, you know, as, as the book goes anyway, and it was a pretty good read. It's another one out of the old expanded universe. There comes a point in time when he has to go on a mission that's going to require him to delve back into his old life and have to face his old demons. And he's got a lot at stake now because of where he's at and because of the aforementioned family. So uh, it's just it was a really, really, really cool story and one that I think you could tell over a long period of time that's really suited to that long form type of storytelling that you would get in a series on Disney+. Plus. So uh, Christopher Nolan, Darth Bane movie. And a Revan television series, if John Favreau wanted to come back and run that one too, then by all means, brother, we're happy to have you. But uh, those would kind of be the, the two things that, that I would do with Star Wars if President Ian was in charge. So, all right, well, this should take us down to about the halfway point of the show. What do you guys say we delve into some dude mail? Let's get after it. You've got mail. Okay, dude mail question number one comes to us from Gene. Happy New Year, fe- yeah. Happy New Year, fellas, and welcome back. So, Ellipsis, what are your thoughts on my 2019 college football national title L- champion LSU Tigers? I promise, Gene, I can speak. Or maybe it's John, since you're an LSU fan. Who's to say? Back to John's question. It goes without saying that our offense won't put up the kind of points in 2020 that we did in 2019. However, is it reasonable to expect that we will still be competitive in the SEC West, especially with a Tua-less Alabama? Thanks, as always, for taking my dude mail and rock on. So, uh, LSU, hell of a season. Absolutely incredible season. Uh, freaking 60 touchdowns for a quarterback. Any, any way you slice it, that's nothing short of earth-shattering. That said, the quarterback's gone. Uh, so is the offensive coordinator. He's heading to Carolina to coach with, uh, what's his face, Rule uh, for the Panthers from uh, from Baylor. So a lot of change in LSU already. Where do we see that taking LSU in, in 2020? Scott, you want to weigh in on that? Boy, it's going to be tough to replace all those pieces. Um, you know, Especially uh, Burrow, I think he was the – he was definitely the straw that was stirring their drink, uh, their hurricane, if you will. There you go. Uh, for those folks down in uh, Nolens, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what they do to bounce back. Uh, Coach O has a, a pretty good way of uh, rallying the troops and getting them to run through brick walls. Um, it's uh, it's going to be tough to repeat. And, you know, they've got uh, Alabama, they've got um, Auburn, they've got Florida on their schedule again in uh, next year. So. Um, I don't know that they'll be able to take on the West as well as uh, some of those tough opponents in the East and come out. Um, I don't even know that they make the, the SEC championship game. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Dave, LSU reflections on 2019 and looking ahead to 2020. What do you expect out of those guys? See, all I heard out of Scott there was hurricane and national championship. And all I could say is cue the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now that's a name I've not heard in a very long time. Very, just for Wait, you, buddy. I was going to say, man, that right there is what you call synergizing this entire conversation. Way to bridge the gap, my man. Mr. Daniels with the, with the dunk. Uh, all we really jam. admitted to was uh, listening to only like uh, one out of every six words that I said. Six words what? No, I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so that said, uh, I have gone back and pulled out my VHS tape of the 2001 national championship season, and uh, now you know LSU. LSU uh, looks like they might be the second best national championship team of all time. They did phenomenally well. Uh, we'll see how well they they pair up when it comes to putting talent in the NFL. Obviously, they've got some stuff going through, but you know it, it's going to be hard to replace that. Now, I, I think that they'll. The other thing they're going to have to look at now too is after the game was over with, you've got uh, OBJ out there handing out cash to players. Yeah, way to go. That's so that's, now. How does it feel so, to be a rocket scientist? So now what happens? All right, so you're probably going to have some suspensions because at first LSU came out and said, "Nope, not real cash." And then everybody that had cameras that were high definition and, and filming that were like, no, no, that's real cash. And then the next day, of course, he comes out and he's got the jerseys and he's talking about how he bought their jerseys from them. Uh, and, of course, now there's an arrest warrant for him for battery for smacking a security guard on the rear end. And it's <laughs> it's a mess. Let's get back to what we were talking about. LSU. Uh, you know, I, I think that they'll do well. Uh, it looks like their, their quarterback that's supposed to be coming in this year uh, has already started talking which will be interesting to see how that turns out. It looks like he's got a little bit of Coach O in him. Uh, they've got a lot of stuff they've got to replace. Um, it's I think that they'll they'll do well. I, I, I don't know. It's it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be extremely tough. They don't. I don't. It doesn't look like they have the pipeline quite yet to move through like Alabama and Clemson does. But they're still they're still building. So I give them time and they'll they'll be back in it again. Yeah, I mean, I first off, congrats on winning the national championship and on a. I mean, when you when when this guy described their season as magical, that's a term that gets thrown around a lot in sports. This was a magical season. I mean, we've not seen that kind of offensive dominance. I mean, listen, I'm a Florida State fan, and I'll tell you, they probably would have beaten the brakes off of uh, off of Florida State's offense in 2013 with Jameis, and that was one of the best offenses I've ever seen in 40 years of watching football. So, uh, I mean, they really are to be commended for the season that they had, and there is no doubt. You can call for an eight-team playoff all you want. There was nobody beating that team this year. They were on fire. Having said that, and while I I really do love Coach O, I think that's a great story, uh, not just because he's a hometown boy, but if, if you know a little bit about his background and kind of where he came from, this guy has grown up a lot over the course of his coaching career to get to where he is today. So, uh, so, so kudos to him for that. This eerily reminds me, of Auburn and Cam Newton. Great team, generational player at quarterback, like freakishly generational. Goes out with a wild and crazy offense, puts up mad points. Quarterback goes on to the NFL. Offensive coordinator who engineered the whole thing moves on to go do other things. And where is Gene Chizik now? You know, where, you know, dude couldn't even hold down a defensive coordinator's post at North Carolina after he got fired at Auburn. So I hope that does not befall Coach O. I think o, I think Orgeron deserves a lot of credit for being able to look around and realize we have got to do something drastically different with our offense. And he had the foresight to be able to go out and bring in Joe Brady. So, you know, you can say all you want about Dabo and Clemson and his ability to be able to keep the ball rolling. The guy knows how to evaluate coaches, something I sure as heck hope we just hired in Tallahassee, by the way. But, uh, you know, it's Orgeron – deserves a lot of credit for being able to look around and recognize I've got to turn this offense over to somebody who can really make it home. Here's hoping he can do it again because the guy who came in and did it for him has now moved on to the NFL. So I'm just, it's going to be interesting to watch. I do think that Alabama will be, uh, will, will be solid next year. Clearly Mac Jones knows what he's doing. Uh, allegedly Jimbo Fisher's one day going to do something with that old obsolete offense in Texas A&M. No, uh, no bitterness there whatsoever, you know, at the Cal school. Um, I think next year's make or break for Kirby Smart at Georgia. If he can't do it next year, then what are we doing here? But I also think Dan Mullen is coming up strong in the SEC East. I hate it because Florida's our rival. But the guy at Dork can flat-out coach, and that's what he's doing in Gainesville. So, yeah, I think LSU's got a tough road to hope. Uh, next question comes from Marcus. Good evening, gents. I caught the Morbius trailer on your Twitter feed the other day and found myself surprisingly intrigued, especially at the Keaton reveal toward the end. What did you guys think of the trailer, and what other films are you excited about in 2020? Dave, I know we briefly touched upon this in our kind of year in review, but uh, films you want to see this year. What are you looking forward to in 2020? Morbius looks good. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, it's, it, it'll be something. At least it's, it's uh, something on the big screen. That's, 
it, that's what excites me. Anything I can bring to the House of Mods, yeah, that that's fine. But uh, that and uh, the other thing I'm really looking forward to, which is probably the only other thing I'm looking forward to this year when it comes to movies, is going to be the new Bond flick. Uh, it's okay. going to be the last last time Daniel Craig uh, slaps on the uh, the vodka. Let's do it. Okay. Scott, movies you're looking forward to in 2020? Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> oh, stop that silliness. That's ah, ridiculous. No, I think uh, I think Dave hit it on the head. I, you know, Morbius looks interesting to me. Um, would love to see what um, you know what comes of the of the Bond. Um, you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife, somewhat intriguing. Um, you know, that's a, a trip down uh, memory lane for for a lot of us folks uh, right. around our age. But, Ghostbusters uh, meets Stranger Things. That's what it looks like. Yeah, and then um, you know, there's always in the back of my mind the. Uh, you know, the Bill and Ted face the music. I think that's just ridiculous enough that it might actually be fun. The Bill and yeah. Ted face the music. Um, based off of what I know about that film from reading a couple of interviews with Keanu Reeves, it sounds like it's just a movie they wanted to make for the sure fun of it. And that's exactly what they did. And in no way, shape or form should you take this seriously. Right. <laughs> so uh, the fact that they're old is at the core of the story. So that's the, for those who don't know that story, that's the gist of Bill and Ted face the music is back in the late eighties. They were supposed to be the band that saved the world. Now they're in their forties and they still haven't done it. And they're starting to get a little worried. (laughs) So so that's Bill and Ted face the music, which could be awesome. So uh, as for me, I'm, I totally had Bill and Ted three down on my list. So I'll throw that one to Scott. Um, I am excited. I know, I know to see Top Gun Maverick. I just want to see the aviation on screen. I care less about volleyball scenes and Tom Cruise and all that. I, I, you know, I was not old enough to go. I was old enough to go see Top Gun on the screen when it came out in the eighties. I just, I didn't. I lived in a small town. We didn't go to the movies very often, so I, I caught it on on video. I want to see Top Gun type aviation on the silver screen. And I saw a documentary while I was waiting forever to watch Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, where they interviewed him and the director of this film. And they talked about all of the stuff that they did with real-life pilots and with DoD to be able to make this as realistic as possible. This is not going to be a CGI a CGI fest. It will look like old-school flight Top Gun. So I'm, I'm excited to see the Jets. So I want to see Top Gun Maverick. The other one I'm really looking forward to is the Dune remake. I was not a big fan of the, uh, the early 80s version of that. I know the book is big, big, big-time reading for, for old-school geeks and diehards. Um, I know people who love that movie. I wasn't one of them. Thought it was stupid. I still make uh, fun of Sting every time I see pictures of him from that film. It was ridiculous. Uh, also, the fat guy in the spinneroony floaty chair was just dumb. It was stupid. But uh, anyway, you know, it's just my opinion. Don't throw rocks at me. I am, however, excited to see the new one uh, with Oscar Isaac and a whole crap load of other people. Jason Momoa is in this. Supposedly, it's a lot more true to the book. And it's going to be the epic story that they didn't have the technology to tell in the, in the 80s. So, uh, big excited about that. So, all right, moving on to our next question. This one comes to us from Andy's, uh, from Andy. Hey, fellas, with the firing of Alex Cora in Boston, it seems that the topic of sign stealing is back in the news again in baseball. Granted, I'm not the biggest baseball fan ever, but what's the big deal? This sort of behavior has been rampant in sport for years, and if you don't believe me, just ask the New England Patriots. So why is it that baseball fans are so willing to riot about this as of right now? Thanks, as always, for taking my dude mail, and keep up the great work with the show. Scott, you're the baseball guy in this crew, man. We're all fans, but you're the guru. You want to tackle this one? So this has been dominating uh, both my social media timelines and sort of my my day-to-day operations because uh, the story is is pretty big, um, no surprises that um, that Hinch and um, Luna were let go, that Cora was let go, that Carlos Beltran uh, stepped down uh, before he even managed a game. Perfect record, way to go there. Um, it's you know it's interesting. Sign ceiling has been going on forever, uh, and the way that they have started to change the game of baseball over the years to uh, create more offense to uh, to keep the fans engaged to um, to sell more tickets to do everything that they they need to do. The game has changed a lot, um, and there's some of those tenets of you know sign stealing. I don't think anyone has a problem with uh, stealing signs. I think they 
uh, just never laid out what the ground rules were going to be for allowing it to happen. Uh, it's been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, they've even gone so far as, you know, over the years to have a, a camera on the third base coaches to pick up the signs. They study them, you know, afterwards, the next night they go out and they go, okay, we know what's going on. If you're not paying attention to that kind of stuff in the dugouts and what's going on, then you're missing the the entire picture. Um, I think where people are starting to 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 get a little uh, upset about it is they they don't understand the technology that was used to steal the signs, and so they think it's out of bounds. Um, I'm all for allowing you know steal the signs. You know, tell people what's coming. If you have a better fastball than uh, than the guy thinks thinks you do, and he knows you're throwing it, then uh, then let's have at it. Um, but uh, they've got to figure out. Um, sort of the, the ground rules for, for cheating, so to speak. Um, I think the other reason this has gotten such to, to be such a big story is uh, Major League Baseball screwed up the steroid era and you know, beyond belief. Uh, they allowed it to, to happen. They tried to sweep it under the rug. It came out and really bit them on the backside later on. And I think uh, you're looking at a commissioner who's going to take a look at this scandal, and he's going to say, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. I'm not going to, um, you know, allow this to happen under my watch. And so now he's making an example out of uh, out of these folks. What's interesting now is that the story has progressed beyond. Okay, these coaches and and general managers were aware of this issue. They should have stopped it, but they didn't. Um, now it's you know you're starting to hear stories about uh, the players calling each other out, which uh, uh, Major League Baseball, I'm sure, is very happy about because it gets it out of their headlines and into the Players Association headlines, um, and it makes it look like the player the the problem is not Major League Baseball's, but it's a player issue, and uh, you know it's not a team issue. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to see where this this goes from here and uh, and how things get started. You know, pitchers and catchers reporting about uh, three to four weeks. Uh, spring training is right around the corner. Um, the Mets haven't hired a, a, a manager to replace Beltron yet. Uh, it's a very Mets thing for them to do, but, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. Dave, sign stealing a baseball. You got thoughts? As a Miami Hurricanes fan from the late 80s and mid-90s, I don't see an issue. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on I'm on the fence about this. I, I take Scott's point about um, about technology. And how the game has changed so much over time. We've got cameras everywhere. I I get that. It seems to me there's got to be some sort of a of an answer to this. I mean, listen, we we saw it in college football. All right, everybody started figuring out hand signals, and so now what do you see? Players or coaches, whenever they're going to call in the the play to the quarterback, you've got the play sheet up over the mouth, so you can't see what they're saying. Or you've got the, you know, the athletic aide over there with the towel hanging that up to block camera so you can't see them. It would seem to me there's there's a way around this. But, I mean, yeah, I, I haven't, haven't been inundated these last few years with Spygate and then whatever this crap was with the Patriots and the Bengals this year and whatnot. And it, it's, yeah, I kind of I kind of get it. Yeah, to, to put a bow on it, I do think that there's a little too much uh, pro clutching going on with this. Um, <laughs> if, if you didn't think that it was it was happening, you weren't paying attention. Um, and I, I think it's the, you know, incorporating the technology into it and having uh, literally a dedicated person, you know, sitting in the in the bowels of the of every stadium going, you know, here comes the fastball. Here comes the curveball. Yeah. Um, you know, all I can think about is the, the movie Major League and, uh, you know, the catcher down there going, let's see, let's see how he feels about the old number one. You know, <laughs> forget the curveball, Ricky. Give him the heater. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Final dude mail question of the night comes to us from Rand. Yo, guys. It seems a while back I recall Ian mentioning something about the CW's Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover event. Did any of you get a chance to check that out? And if so, what did you think? Anybody check that out? Dave, I know you used to be a Smallville guy. Everybody knew Tom Welling was coming back for this. Did you watch it? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. I, I, did, I did not. I would like to say, though, uh, Rand, thank you very much for your email. I've enjoyed your maps over the year. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Did you see it? I did not catch that. Uh, we'd have to get my daughter on to, uh, to talk through that when she's a big fan of, uh, of all the, you know, of Arrow, the Flash, the whole, you know, Smallville, uh, everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, I 
I checked out of the CW shows years ago. I I really enjoyed Arrow when it first came around. Uh, Dave and I have talked this before. We were both big Smallville fans back in the day. Uh, Smallville had a heart and a soul about it that, frankly, none of these shows has ever had. So that, frankly, is just its own thing. But uh, but it did beget Arrow when Arrow first started. I liked it. I thought it was an interesting new take on a character that we had seen quite a bit uh, cast by Justin Hartley in Smallville. I, I liked the the new Oliver Queen with um, ah crap I'm blanking on his name, uh, but anyway uh, you know I, I liked it. But the biggest thing I liked about it was the relationship between Oliver Queen and John Diggle. Uh, David Ramsey is the guy who plays Diggle. He's awesome. He's one of the best characters on the show. And as time went on, they they just got further and further and further away from that, and it just it lost me. Um, the other shows, they all. Freaking half the cast came from Glee. All right, that should tell you everything you need to know. Grant Gustin is a is a nice kid. I've seen some interviews with him on uh, on YouTube talking about the show and and whatnot. And he's he seems like a really nice guy. He's got a very um, you know, is it the the Barry Allen that he plays is um, a very emotional guy. Um, he's just frankly kind of whiny for me, and that really sums up the entire Arrowverse for me. Now I tried Legends, couldn't get into it. Um, you know, I, I, Batwoman, I can tell you, is just not my thing. Uh, it's just, you know, there's just not, it, it is geared towards the younger audience and I'm not that audience anymore. So I can, I can get on board with that. Having said all that, this was like we talked about in, in the previous podcast, a huge ordeal to put this on. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths is one of the biggest stories DC Comics ever told, like ever. So the fact that they wanted to take on a story of that magnitude and that scale in television was a monumental event. And I did tune in because I wanted to see if they could pull it off and because I wanted to see the comebacks of of Tom Welling as Clark Kent's Superman, which lasted like 30 seconds. Um, I also wanted to see some of the other cameos that they brought in, and there were a lot of them. At the end of the day, this is how I would sum up Crisis on Infinite Earths. I haven't actually just watched the last episode two nights ago. You can go to Walmart or what used to be Toys R Us and you can buy G.I. Joe action figures. G.I. Joe's classic. It's timeless. Everybody had them. You had Flint. You had Snake Eyes. You had Duke. You had, you know, you had uh, all those guys. Okay. You can get G.I. Joe or you can go to Dollar Tree and you can buy Freedom Force. And I can't name any of those characters because it's not worth your time. Steve. So there you go. Steve, Steve, Steve the Ninja. There you go. So Avengers Endgame, G.I. Joe, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Freedom Force. Like that's pretty well how I kind of size these things up. So much of Infinite Earths looked like they were ripping off Avengers from the way the portals look to some of the elements of the story, not all of it, but just a lot of it. It had a very Avengers Endgame just made a whole bunch of money. Now we're going to do it on TV and we're going to do it on a budget. It, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. It was fun to see some of the cameos story itself. I, I didn't care by the end of it. Somebody tried to explain to me why Oliver Queen had to die twice. Spoiler alert. Um, I, I don't care. <laughs> I probably won't tune back into any of these shows ever again now that this is over. I watched it. I gave it the opportunity. <laughs> now we're done with this and moving on. So there you go, uh, dude. Crisis on Infinite Earths. That was kind of my thought on that. So with that said, White Flag. Here we go. White Flag. White Flag, as everybody knows by now, is the segment where we kind of look ahead to the things that are coming up on our radar in the next few weeks, be that sports stuff, geek stuff, whatever it may be. If it uh, floats our boat, we look forward to it. Talk about it on White Flag. Dave, I'll start with you. What's on your radar, man? Uh, I was looking through the TV listings earlier, and apparently in a few weeks we're going to have something called the Superb Owl. I don't know why everybody's excited about this, uh, but I figured I would check that out. It's coming out of Miami, which I'm, I'm excited about because it's in my hometown. Uh, so maybe the Superb Owl will take the place of whatever else is going on in sports these days. Okay. Scott? Well, uh, let's go back to uh, that real quick, Dave. Who you got? Uh, hmm. Well, I think right now it's, uh, it's down to, um, the guy, uh, that does how many licks does it take to get to the, uh, the middle of a, of a Tootsie Pop? Uh, I, 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 I really, 
I think I believe the number you're looking for is three. A one, a two. <laughs> We are really showing our age in this episode. I just want to put that out there. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Get off uh, my lawn. That's your dad gum right. Crisis on Infinite Earth. Your shenanigans. I I really do believe the Patriots. Oh wait. Um. Oh, shots the, fired. The Chiefs. I really. I think the Chiefs. It's, it, I think it's gonna be a Chiefs 49ers in the Super Bowl, and I really think the Chiefs are gonna pull that one off. They say defense wins championships. San Fran certainly got it. But but it's Patrick Mahomes. It's the Mahomies. Mm, yeah, I've got the I've got the uh, the State Farm Bowl. Um, KC in uh, in Green Bay. I think um, I, I watch enough of those commercials. Maybe it's just uh, seared into my brain uh, over the football season and th- with those two guys. But um, I think Kansas City gets it done over the Titans at home. Uh, and then I think uh, Green Bay is going to uh, redeem themselves from their earlier debacle. And uh, and eke, eke one out against San Francisco. Uh, hey. I, I see I see Garoppolo making a, mis- a mistake that costs them. Um, I'm still not convinced that he's the guy that's going to win a Super Bowl. Um, so outside of uh, of the superb owl, um, the next thing on my radar is the XFL. Okay. Really excited to see what this looks like over the over the spring. They uh, announced some of their uh, rule changes and had some videos that went along with it to help explain what that looks like. Um, which I thought was a, a nice touch on their part. Um, you know, it's uh, they're starting to get some uh, some interest from players who have either been suspended from the NFL or uh, might be on the fringe. Uh, so we'll see what that what that looks like. Um, you know, there's eight teams involved. Uh, I have a uh, I think I'm going to be a uh, St. Louis BattleHawks fan in right. the XFL. Uh, they're the one team that does not have an NFL franchise in their city that they're competing against. And so um, I think the, the city of St. Louis will thoroughly embrace a homegrown team. Uh, now, full disclosure, I do know someone that, uh, that works for the Battle Hawks. Uh, maybe we might even get him on uh, here for an interview before the season gets kicked off. But uh, I'm going to put, put my uh, chips in their corner and, uh, and root for them this year. Um, and then I know the summer's a little bit away. We're all thinking about uh, wintertime here in the uh, – the, the frigid tundra of uh, Florida for Dave and I, but um, uh, Summer Olympics coming up. So uh, okay. always a big fan of the Olympics. Um, thought I would bring another obscure sporting event to the podcast that uh, you guys may or may not be into, but uh, always enjoy a good, uh, good Olympic year. All right. Yeah, I, um, I'm glad you mentioned that about the XFL. I've been, I've been looking at some of those same videos. Uh, you know, man, I mean, listen, it, it may fail. Spring football always does inevitably, but... It's a first time for everything, man. And I do, and I'm not going to say the XFL will be it, but I am curious to see if they can be. I mean, some of the rule changes they've got are, are really cool. I, I love the rule that they've got for their point after touchdown. And for those who don't know, mm-hmm. traditional football, you kick a PAT or you go for two. All right. That's your choices. You can kick a PAT or you can go, uh, go for two points off the, the two yard line. The XFL is saying, nay, nay, you're not going to kick. You're not going to line up a kick. You'll get six points for your touchdown, and then you have to make a choice. You can run a play from the two-yard line, and if you make it, you get one point. Or you can run a play from the five-yard line, and if you make it, you get two points. Or you can run a play from the ten-yard line, and if you make it, you get three points. So that opens up a whole new level of strategy uh, particularly when you get down to the end of the game and, and you've got to decide whether or not you want to play for overtime or it just it, it completely blows the doors off of what you can and can't do. Uh, their overtime format actually looks like it's going to be pretty neat as well. But anyway, for those who follow me on Twitter, Addy and Jay Malone, uh, I've retweeted a bunch of those, or you can just go follow the XFL account. Fox Broadcasting has also got an XFL at Fox account now on Twitter that you can follow, and they're putting all of that stuff out there, and they're quick videos, so you can just go see what it's all about. Um, as for team alliances, and I was actually going to put this out as a homework assignment for everybody that, uh, you got to claim a, claim a team for the XFL season kicks off on February 8th. Uh, anybody who reads my books knows I had to go with the team called the Renegades. I mean, hello. <laughs> I wrote an entire trilogy of books called the Mako saga about a group of people from Florida state called the Renegades. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to claim the, claim the Dallas Renegades, even though they're coached by Bob Stoops and I like Landry Jones and he's a quarterback. So, uh, so there's that. I, I couldn't sell out for another Tampa team, man. Those have disappointed me too much over the years. 
So, uh, so that was kind of that. But yeah, Dallas Renegades. Um, XFL, definitely on my radar of things coming up. Daytona 500, Speed Weeks at Daytona. Kickoff of the NASCAR season, very much on my radar. Um, out of the non-sports world, uh, very much looking forward to Picard. That drops on CBS All Access on January the 23rd. I'm not sure if I'm going to go ahead and get it and watch it week by week or whether I'm just going to wait for all eight or ten episodes to drop and then pay one month's fee and then binge it. Uh, I'll have to just kind of wait and see. But I am hearing good things about it. Early reviews are that it's really good. Um, Ian McKellen flat told Patrick Stewart, and he confirmed this, I told him, you're an idiot if you go back to do that role. It'll ruin your career. And Patrick Stewart thought so much of the story that they sold him on for this series that he said, I'm going to go back and do it. I can't not. So I'm, I'm interested to see what that's going to look like. And that's Picard, and that drops on January 3rd, uh, 23rd. So with that, thank you as always, guys, for listening to the show. Thank you to my boys, David Scott, for tagging along and offering their insights. They are always uh, invaluable. Uh, to you, the listeners, speaking of invaluable, we love those reviews, love those ratings. If you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever, uh, if they let you leave stars, leave those suckers. And that, A, makes us feel better about ourselves, and we could always use the confidence boost, and also it helps the podcast get further up in the ratings. So people who like geek stuff and sports stuff and guy stuff may not necessarily have heard of us, may not be looking for us, but the further the show gets up in the ratings, the more of a chance it is that they just so happen to stumble upon, uh, stumble upon that in a search. Point is, your five stars help us get there, so thank you as always for those. Feel free to hit us up on social media, at the HyperDudes on Facebook and Twitter. A lot of the stuff we talk about, whether it's movie trailers, whether it's news stories. Broke this week, Better Call Saul, going to end with Season 6. You can read about that on our Facebook or Twitter feeds. The story is there, as well as the Morbius trailer we referenced. Go nuts, go crazy. You can also email the show, dudesinhyperspace at gmail.com, if you've got a question for us. So that's the routine, that's the episode, and we will see you guys again next time for another exciting and dangerous edition of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. See ya. See ya. It's time for my evening constitutional. Mm-hmm.